The following program was pre-recorded on WFAN. It's time for Hello, My Name is Craig, our weekly candid conversation about gambling addiction. It's supported by the Council on Compulsive Gambling of New Jersey, 800-GAMBLER. Now, here's Craig Carton. Good morning and welcome to another edition of Hello, My Name is Craig. Craig Carton with you, and as always, for the next 30 minutes, a frank, open, honest conversation about gambling addiction and the addicts that uh, have the problem, people like myself and, of course, my co-host uh, every week, Dan Trelaro with Epic Risk Management. Danny, good morning. How you doing, pal? I'm doing great, Craig. How are you today? Doing good. Happy St. Patrick's Day in advance to you. I know you're going to be uh, enjoying that for the next week, so I appreciate your time, as always, this morning. Uh, Absolutely. Top of the morning to you. Thrilled to have with us today a fellow gambler, compulsive gambler. This is uh, Michael. Michael, it's Craig and Dan. Really appreciate you coming out to share your story today. My pleasure. Anything to help the uh, the cause. Yeah, for sure. So let me ask, how long has it been since you last wagered? My last wager was October 25th, 2005. Oh, great. So wow, you're uh, 17 years 17. in. Yep. That's great. That is great. Well, let's go all the way back, if you don't mind. Um, how old were you when you remember first gambling, even before it became a problem to you? Was it as a kid? Was it later in life? Walk us through the starts of it. I mean, I was a baseball card flipper, but I never considered that gambling. Sure. Um, I guess when I became, when I, you know, 13, 14, I got, uh, I was always a sports fanatic. I loved watching it. And then I didn't realize it to about that age that you could actually bet on it. And you could just sit there and, you know, have that type of action. Between that and, Card playing, um, you know, dealing blackjack in the lunchroom, in, you know, in, in junior high school and uh, weekly card games. I've been, uh, I've been doing this a long, I was doing this a very long time. Yeah, you know, Dan, it's funny that Mike brought up flipping cards. We all did it as kids, especially in the yeah. 1970s and early 80s. But it's only recently, I think, that experts like yourself and people in that field, in the medical field, have now gone backwards and said, Hey, flipping cards, while it was innocent and it wasn't gambling to our knowledge, really kind of set a platform for people like us to uh, be attracted to gambling. Yeah, you know, it's, it's interesting. As, as the terminology of skill-based gambling has started to sweep the country for the last decade or so, something like flipping cards, you know, when I was in school, flipping the card, it was skill. I had to head it at the right angle. I had to sit on the thumb at the right way so I could flip it. So I thought my skill would, would play a role. And then in hopes of trying to win something of value, someone else's card. I mean, I lost a Joe Montana rookie card flipping cards. I was so annoyed and pissed off that day because the wind was blowing a little bit. So when we look at these things, we say, wow, we're risking something of value to win something of value where there's some risk and there's a little bit of skill involved and there's uncertainty. So it makes sense that we'll start to look backwards and say these things have been going on for a long time. So it's kind of like a primer for uh, later in life yeah. activities. Got it. A pathway. Yeah. Mike, so at what point did you start uh, wagering on sports on a regular basis? I probably started wagering on sports 10th, 11th grade. It wasn't easy, you know, to find uh, someone who would take action from a 10th and 11th grader. Sure. Um, I was more active going to Atlantic City, you know, in my earlier, you know, 15, 16 years old. Um, that kind of got me the bug. And then the sports, it was, you know, I, I didn't like horses. I don't like lottery. It was just those two things that I just, you know, Weekends trying to play blackjack and, you know, every day trying to get down on sports. 
Got it. So between casino games, specifically blackjack and sports, and this is well before the world we live in now where you actually had to put a little work into it if you really wanted to wager. It wasn't as simple as picking up your phone and placing a bet. Oh, my God. It was, it was a job in itself. Yeah. You know, I mean, my parents were on to me. I mean, I just trying to – we didn't have call waiting then. People could pick up a line. You could be on the phone getting the readback from the bookie, and they could hear it. I mean, it was – it was a lot of work, and it was really scary then. Now it's, it's like invisible. It's scary, for, yeah. You know, for the for the younger generation, so especially as, within every commercial. As it's, you look back on your life now, as I do, I'm sure with great clarity. How old were you when you think uh, it became a problem? Where it became a focus of your life that was unhealthy? I will tell you this because we were in March Madness, the year that NC State won the. National championship on the Lorenzo Charles slam dunk. Yeah, off the Derek Wittenberg miss uh, against. Yes, uh, yes, yep, yes, 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 yes. My whole group in, in college, you know, my crew of gamblers, we all had NC State on the money line for as much as we could. And that big win, I believe, uh, put me onto the path of uh, insanity. Um, I always believe the big wins are the ones that really do the damage, not the losses. But that's yep, yeah, be debated. So, do you remember right after that March Madness uh, gambling more aggressively than you had prior to it? Sure, I now thought I was the genius. Right, I, I picked a seven point, I think, underdog, and my friends and I were you know on campus with tons of money, and uh, you know, it, it it put me on a path of thinking that I was a lot smarter than I was. Right. So along that path, obviously, you had down moments where you lost uh, money. Did you get to a place where you were now wagering with money you didn't have or couldn't afford to pay if you lost? I think every real, you know, compulsive gambler faces that question. Of course, you you, you step over the line of what you can and can't do. I, how many Sunday nights do we sit there and say, how am I going to get through the week? What's the excuse? Right. Yes, I, I extended myself and I had access to money and you know i was pretty resourceful but at the end of the day you know the worst lies are the lies we tell ourselves right and then uh, those lies we you know become compounded because you start lying to everybody about everything at least that's you know my story and that's uh, i think uh you know more common than it's not common so you're uh you got to a place where it's really unhealthy in college or once you got out of college and kind of on your own earning your own money i i I would say that uh (laughs) College was 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 definitely. I mean, I I gambled in high school. I based college was a ton of gambling. I mean, that was really like what I was more interested in than than classes. And it progressed onward. Um, I believe some point of uh, my during college, I went to one meeting, and uh, I didn't think I was that crazy. And then you know, sadly, it took twenty years before I came back. All right, well, let's talk about that because, uh, you know, as much as we're going to talk about the good things in life, we do need to, you know, at least discuss, you know, the worst parts of your gambling addiction. Do you remember the rock-bottom moment that after a lifetime spent gambling, big wins, big losses, where something happened that triggered you to say, hey, I've got a problem, and hey, I need some help? Well, first of all, after a certain point, I started using drugs and alcohol to basically numb me from the damage, you know, mentally and, you know, just the way I felt. So I've been cross addicted 
And um, let me let me stop you there would, and ask a quick question because I'm just interested in it. And then obviously chime in as you uh, want to here. Did one beget the other? Like if you were in the middle of a of a gambling uh, spell, would that lend you to then you know, you know drink or do drugs? Did the drinking and doing drugs you know drive you to gamble more? Walk me through the relationship between those. I would say it was um, the Bermuda Triangle. Um, I never really liked the taste of alcohol. Um, I always considered myself, my biggest problem was always gambling. Drugs sort of came in later in life. And, um, you know, I think that if I had a drink today, I would probably be more likely to gamble. Got it. So yeah. I I don't pl- I don't play games with that you know I I, I keep it clean. But Dan, is the cross well, addiction that Mike's talking about more common than not? Yeah, it sure is. I, you know, study after study shows that typically a person struggling with their gambling or having full blown clinically diagnosed gambling disorder, oftentimes sixty percent will also struggle with alcohol use. They'll struggle with nicotine, have a nicotine dependency. It's it, it's the behaviors, right? They all start to kind of come together. So the drinking and the smoking or whatever might lead someone to gamble. The gambling can make somebody want to have a drink. These are connected behaviors. And so to, to treat or address one of them, you have to treat and address everything that's going on. So yeah, it's becoming more common. Absolutely. Got it. So what was the bottom of the barrel moment for you, Mike? You know, I don't know if I had an exact, like, bottom. I know that my last trip to, to Las Vegas at the Wynn Casino, I was on a, uh, a bender, a roll. Um, I had a lot of people with me, some family members, et cetera. And I just could not believe my personal behavior, and it just seemed normal. And uh, th- there was no, like, hey, you know, calm down or whatever. Uh, I remember a particular morning breakfast, and I was just, I had been up the whole night, and I, I just felt horrible. And then um, when my father had a, like a quadruple bypass, um, I don't think I was very much an asset to the family. I don't think I was clear. I was, uh, you know, under the influences of things, not focused, and I was very close to my father, and, um, you know, that and then the the real real not bottom but the shining moment was i got married to my wife who we've been married for many years with beautiful children and i just knew that i could not be a father and a gambler period i had you know it that may have been i went away on a little 30-day vacation right after i got married it was terrible but um i knew that i needed to have my waterloo moment and clean up my life right then and there or else hmm. bad things were going to happen. And th- did you stop right then and there uh, and remain uh, without gambling, or did you uh, dabble? I have, I have never um, gone back to it since that date. That The date I give is when I went to my first meeting. Uh, I hadn't gambled for um, you know probably two months prior to that, but um, – I don't know, Craig. You you know the game. I mean, it's just it's it's a war out there. And it is harder and harder. Well, let me stop you right there. We're going to take a quick break, and I want to hear how life turned around for you once you made that decision. That's Mike, uh, Dan, of course, with Epic Risk Management, and uh, Craig Carton with you. We continue right after this. Back to more of Hello, my name is Craig on the Fan with your host Craig Carton, and supported by the Council on Compulsive Gambling of New Jersey, eight hundred Gambler. 
All right, welcome back to Hello, my name is Craig. Craig Carton, Dan Trelaro, Epic Risk Management. Uh, still a consultant with the New Jersey Council on Compulsive Gambling, which you know better as 800Gambler. And nice enough to join us today is a fellow uh, compulsive gambler, Mike. Mike, where we left off there before the break, you uh, were having kids and recognized that you couldn't be a good dad or husband, for that matter, while you were gambling. So you stopped. You started going to meetings and you stopped gambling. And I think this part of the story is important to tell because gambling controlled your life for so long and you were able to find a way to stop that. And for a lot of people that are now at you know, step one, day one, of recognizing they have a problem, it seems like getting to where you're at, you know, 17 years without making a wager where I'm at, which will be four years in June, where Dan's at, which is 12 years now, seems like that's not possible. So if you don't mind just sharing with people how it is possible and how amazing life is for you without gambling, I think that's important to tell. Absolutely. Um, if you're a real compulsive gambler, or a drug addict or an alcoholic, you're not focused, you're not living in the present moment, you're not dealing with reality. Um, when my children need a lift to a play date or a, a party, I'm the one that's sober, I'm the one that can get them there. Um, when my wife has a problem at night, I'm the one, you know, that she can count on for whatever, you know, whatever situation. Um, Stopping bad behavior, changing your life, cleaning, you know, getting sober, clean. Um, it's, it's fabulous because you're, you're able to contribute to society. You, you can love. You can be loved. You can offer service. You can go to a meeting and help somebody else. I've brought people into the room who now have super successful careers that, uh, you know, they didn't know where to go. Um, the time, the time is the whole problem. What, what, what we lost, forget about the numbers. I mean, we've all lost numbers. Craig, yours are publicized, mine aren't, but they're impressive. It's the time that we lost in life that, that we now can really appreciate. And that's, that, that's the most important thing to me is to just like last week, skiing with my children, not worrying about who's going to win or how I'm going to get down on a game. So the miracle and, and just your mind being clear for opportunities to make money, to be part of society. It's just different. Well, I really appreciate you telling your story. I think we need to hear more stories like it. I think it's great that you're doing so well. And I just want to thank you for joining us today and hope you enjoy the rest of your weekend. Thank you, Craig. It was a pleasure. Thank you, Mike. Appreciate thank you, Mike. that. Dan, always good hearing from another uh, real live human being so we can do our best to humanize the addiction. Uh, so I appreciate you having Mike come on with us today. I should mention that, you know, tomorrow the uh, tournament field is announced. And five days from today, the uh, tournament begins. There's a reason that March is Responsible Gambling Awareness Month. Uh, and it's because of March Madness. It's really outside of the Super Bowl, the next biggest uh, moment sports-wise on the calendar that people get themselves in a bad spot on. So let's speak to that a little bit. You spent so many years at 800 Gambler. How significant is March Madness in regards to people suddenly finding themselves in a bad spot? Yeah, you know, March Madness and uh, National uh, you know, Problem Gambling Awareness Month for 2023, they coincide. You know, it started in around 2014 or so. With, with, with March Madness taking off, we start to see more people gambling. Besides the Super Bowl, it's one of the biggest times of year that people place bets. 
because you have the brackets. You have all the bracketologists. Uh, we've seen presidents in the United States and even um, people from around the globe making picks who have an interest in the NCAA tournament. But what it comes down to now is sports betting is legalized and more people are participating. They're doing so legally. And they're doing so in so many different ways. It's not just a bracket that you can play anymore. You can now pick game by game on your smartphone. And then within that game, Craig, as you know, the in-play sports betting is taking off in many states. And so it's really a recipe for disaster for some people. So the whole point of Problem Gambling Awareness Month is to raise awareness that gambling is an addiction. People, human beings struggle with this every day. Yeah. And you and I have talked about this. This is your neighbor. These are people, you can't see this addiction. It's not visible. And so for the next several weeks, there's going to be people gathering at bars, at houses, gathering on their phones, watching college sports. And there's no problem with that. But for some people, there's going to be a percentage that develop problems. Yeah, and the, the the biggest problem for March Madness, and I'm a guy. I there was half a dozen different ways I waged on March Madness. I remember we had it. We used to have drafts of players. We yep. used to have uh, uh, there was a wager you could make where you know if, if I took the if a lower seed beat a higher seed I and covered the spread, you could then you then got the higher seed uh, to move on in the tournament. Like there's so many different ways yeah. of betting it. And the thing that see, listen, I'm not going to be hypocritical. Because uh, I recognize a lot of people bet it. I used to bet it, of course. Is yep. that I know nothing about Mississippi Valley State. Nothing. <laughs> and most people don't. So when you're a sports better, you might follow the NFL really closely. So you can name every guy on every lineup. So you're making a more informed wager. The reality right. is that not everyone follows college basketball the way they follow the NFL. And of the people that do follow college basketball, very few follow the mid-majors. Very few follow teams that they don't have a rooting interest in. So now you've got people out there, oh, I love the 8-9 game, but can't name a single player that's yeah. on the court. And that's why, to me, March Madness is more dangerous than Super Bowl wagering because you're making uninformed bets. You're just throwing money blindly. Yeah. And, and let's also take it to the next level. When I was in Ohio a couple of weeks ago, one of the areas of concern, just not just from the NCA, but just from athletic directors around the country, is the student-athlete. Because now you have people that are wagering on the performance of kids, Craig. I mean, they're emerging adults. They're 18 to 22 years old. Last year, when Oral Roberts beat Ohio State that first-round game, E.J. Liddell was receiving death threats on campus. Right. Right. I mean, this, this is the concern. And again, I don't want to make it sound like it's the norm. It happens, you know, at a bigger percentage than it really does. But the fact is, these are human beings. These are kids playing a sport that they love. Let them play a sport. Let them compete. Let them have fun. There's going to be people that wager on this. We just want people to do so responsibly. Uh, and if, if someone does have a problem with their wagering, they need to know where to go for help. They need to know the resources, but there's so many layers to this. It's like peeling an onion away, right? There's so many different layers uh, as gambling expands. We just need to stay on top of it and make sure that the resources are always available for people and the loved ones because yep. we don't ever want to forget about the family. One other story uh, we'll get into more over the course of uh, the next few months, but I do want to bring it up. You know, Calvin Ridley of the Atlanta Falcons got suspended for a year this past week for admitting that he wagered on uh, NFL games, including his own team, the Falcons, albeit while he was away on a mental health break. Uh, you now, Kevin Durant of the Brooklyn Nets, acknowledged publicly that he enjoys the power of controlling whether or not people lose or win 
the prop bets they make on his performance. And then something else happened this week that's not getting any attention at all. When the Major League Baseball owners and players ended the lockout uh, yeah. a couple days ago, part of their deal is that active Major League Baseball players are allowed to endorse casinos now. The NHL yep. did the same deal. Active NHL players are allowed to endorse betting sites and casinos. And I find that to be a huge problem moving forward because, you know, these are guys that are on the field to play. These are guys that can absolutely control the outcome of games, control the outcome of their own statistical performances. And I think that is a line that just got blurred. Beyond that, the NFL, it turns out, does not prohibit its players from wagering on other sports. So while Calvin Ridley bet on the NFL, which is an obvious no-no, NFL players are allowed to wager on other professional and college sports. And to me, that is an iceberg that people want no part of. And I guarantee you, in the next year or two, there is going to be a major, major scandal because of it. I tell you, we are such such a crossroad and such an interesting time. You know, I was I was spot on with you right there with the patches uh, and the MLB players as part of the settlement. I heard about Durant's comments, and we know about Calvin Ridley. There's so much going on, and a lot of it it's that marketing, Craig. Those patches, the marketing, the advertising. We've got you know we've got star athletes that are whether um, they mean to or not promoting gambling in certain ways. We need to have. Also, those same individuals coming out and saying, hey, listen, if you have a problem, you got to know where to go for help. You know, we know Steve Mariucci, we know the NFL did a great job with their RG ad, the responsible gambling ad about having a game plan. We need more of that. You know, we need to make sure this thing is balanced because right now we are so out of balance with the marketing and those risk-free bets. Uh, You deposit a dollar and if a pitcher throws a strike, you win $250. I mean, it's the marketing, it's the advertising, and it's the promotions. And it it is a bit concerning, and we really need to stay on top of it. Well, we're going to talk more about it for sure in the weeks to come. Always appreciate your time. I know we got to get going. Uh, Evan Roberts is uh, coming up next. Uh, Safe travels, Dan. Uh, Talk to you soon, and thanks for uh, being a part of the show. Yeah, thank you, brother. Thanks for all you do, man. Love doing it with you. Yep. Evan Roberts is next. Evan and I, of course, back Monday at 2 o'clock. If someone in your life uh, is acting a little strange or you are concerned, especially this time of year, that they might have a problem, don't hide from it. Pick up the phone and ask them and talk to them about it, and uh, you may be surprised at what they tell you. You know, the first line of defense for compulsive gambling are loved ones and family members. So keep an eye out for people in your life that might be acting a little bit off. Dan Trelaro, Epic Risk Management, Craig Carton, Evan Roberts is next. Enjoy the rest of your weekend. And thank you for listening to Hello, My Name is Craig.